welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 again. Uh, before we get started with the message, let me just, uh, I want to kind of announce more in depth something that we've got going on here in just a couple weeks. On June 11th, you need to write that date down. June 11th, we are going to have what we're going to call Journey Sunday. And Journey Sunday is going to be a day that we're going to set aside and we're going to celebrate our kids in this church. Now, we love our kids in this church. Everybody say amen. We love our children. We do. And so we we want to take some time to celebrate them. We have not been doing a good job of that the past several years. 100% my fault. So we're going to set a day aside a year to just celebrate our kids. And we're going to celebrate both the beginning and the end of the journey of childhood in one day. So this will have two components to it. The first part will be a child dedication. If you've never been to a child dedication, what that is is that basically means that you're just going to basically come before the church and dedicate your child and say, as a parent, I'm going to raise my child in a Christian household. I'm going to do everything I can to bring them to Christ. I'm going to be a parent who puts that as a priority in my parenting skills. If you're interested in that, we want to open that up this year because we haven't done it to any parent who has a child under five years old. There is a sign-up sheet on the message center. Um, I would really encourage you to do that. Jessica and I are going to participate in that with our daughter Oakley. It's just a time of, of um, accountability, of celebration of the kid and just commitment that our heart is set on seeing our children raised for Christ. That, that'll be the first aspect of it. I would encourage you to do that. Secondly, we will be celebrating our graduating seniors that day. We're a little bit late, but that's okay. You may have noticed out in the foyer that we've got some tables set up. We have three seniors who graduated this year. We will be celebrating those three seniors on that day as well, celebrating their accomplishments and giving them a gift. So we're going to do all of that in one day, and we're going to make that a yearly habit. Hopefully next year we'll do it early May instead of mid-June. But uh, we definitely want to take care of our kids. So with that said, let's, let's dive into the message. As I said earlier, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, something you need to know about me is I am a man. I don't know if you guys knew that or not. In today's world, I feel like you almost have to say those things. And there's a few things that I have learned about being men. And Seth and Caden, these are for you since you guys are entering the world of, of manhood. You need to listen to this. Things you need to know about being a man, ladies, some of these will sound familiar to you. Number one, men do not ask for directions ever for any reason. Uh, there we go, right? So here's the thing. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. And yes, we did mean to pass that gas station five times. That was part of the plan. Uh, number two, men never ask for help. Yes, honey, I could call a plumber or I could call an electrician, but I'm not going to because I'm a man and men are competence-based and I find my value in being able to take care of things around the house. So I will spend $300 on something a plumber would have done for $100 just to make sure I did it myself. That's important that we know about men. Uh, number three, yes, honey, I will build a shelf no, I don't need those dumb directions to do it. Does that sound familiar? Now, let me, let me tell you what will break a prideful man of not needing directions to put stuff together. Having a child. 
Have y'all seen these kids' toys these days? They're ridiculous. Like, there is no putting them together and figuring it out. They're ridiculous. Uh, a couple of years ago, we bought a kitchen, or we didn't buy it. Oakley got a kitchen for Christmas. And um, I was thinking, oh, I can do that. It won't take anything. 200 plus pieces for a kitchen. And you're thinking, what kind of kitchen did y'all get her? A really small one. I mean, it was very tiny. 200 plus pieces. We had to have instructions. Now, now the point of all that is, is what I'm saying is I've come to a place in my life where I realize there are times I need help. And I need somebody who knows the path forward to instruct me. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes we need somebody to instruct us on what the path forward is. Now, let me tell you how this relates to what we're learning today. We've been in a series called Shine Bright. And we started this several weeks ago, and we started with Matthew 28. This is the verses that we say at the end of the church service every single time that tells us to make disciples. This is the church's greatest mission. This is Ramsey Heights' greatest mission. We are to go out into the world and make disciples. Now, let me be clear. That is not simply an organizational mission. That is not something we do when we come here and we say, we're together, let's make disciples. That is something you do when you leave here and you go out into the world. Your calling, your job is to make disciples in whatever realm of influence that you have out there. So we've been talking about how do we make disciples, and we've been talking about this shine bright concept that we live a different life, that there should be something about the way that we live our lives, the way that we follow Christ, the way that we interact with other people, the way that we treat authority, the way that we handle our marriages, the people look at us and go, there's something wrong with you, and I like it. And this opens opportunities for people to want to hear the gospel from us. Let me be very clear. People do not want to hear the gospel from someone who does not live the gospel. So we've been focusing on what does it look like to live as a living witness, hoping those opportunities will come. But there comes a point where if we're going to accomplish the goal of making disciples, the people who are looking at us are going to need someone who knows the path forward into salvation, into following Christ, to instruct them. It's just like building a kitchen. At some point, they're going to need direction. So if our goal is to make disciples, what we need to figure out between you and me this morning is how do we do that individually out in the world? How do we actually make disciples? How do we instruct people on how to follow Christ? And so this morning what I want to do is I want us to walk through how you become a disciple and I want to give you some tools to help you be willing and ready to walk somebody else through that as they're ready. So we're going to start this morning. I told you 1 Peter 3. I'm going to meet you there in a second. We're going to start this morning with Ephesians 2 though. So just listen carefully because it tells us there's only one way to become a disciple of Christ. There's only one way to become a follower of Christ. This is what Ephesians says. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man boast. Your first take home truth this morning is salvation is given by grace through faith alone in Jesus. So if we want to make disciples out in the world, what we're actually saying is our goal and our job is to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. 
We are not worried at Ramsey Heights. We are not worried about how many people come to church on Sunday morning. Let me be clear. You should be here. We want you here. But our goal is not trying to figure out how to get a bunch of people into this church. Our goal is not to change people morally and teach them how to act better. Those things are works. As Paul just said in Ephesians, it said that works do not save you, that salvation is a gift of God by his grace that you access through faith. So what we want to do as disciple makers is we want to be prepared to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now the question now becomes, okay, if we want to bring people to faith, how do we do that? What is the thing that I must do to bring somebody to faith? How are they going to come to faith in Jesus Christ? The answer to that is also found in Scripture. This is Romans 10, verse 17. It says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So everything that we've learned so far in our Shine Bright series has been laying the foundation for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to live my life in such a way that you are curious about who my Savior is. You are curious about what makes me different so that I have the opportunity, not just for you to want it, I have the opportunity to tell you that, that you must hear the gospel. See, I don't know a lot, but I know communication requires two people. It requires one person to listen, and we're hoping that people will be willing to listen to us based on our lifestyles, and it requires a communicator. That would be you and me. You and I will have to communicate the gospel. Let me be very clear. You must be prepared to verbally share the gospel. I shared with you on the first week of uh, this series that there's the old saying that I loved when I was a teenager because I was shy and I didn't want to talk to anybody. And, and my, our pastor at the time would say, witness as much as possible, only when necessary, use words. I agree with that 100%. Live your life in such a way that you are witnessing for Christ. But it is often going to be necessary for us to use words to verbally share the word of God, to share the gospel, the simple story of our broken. Jesus' love and our opportunity to be redeemed. Your next take home truth is faith in Jesus is a product of hearing the gospel. Now, this is where we're going to catch up with Peter. Peter so far has been instructing us on how to live as a foreigner in this world. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a part of a kingdom of heaven. In this world, this world is not your home. You should not look like the culture of this world in a lot of things. We are completely different. And Peter has been instructing us on some ways that we should be different. And he's going to give us the next instruction is that as part of being a foreigner, as a part of an effect of being a foreigner in this world, we should be able to communicate the gospel. Read with me. This is 1 Peter 3, just one verse today, verse 15. He says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is with you, in you, with meekness and fear. Here's what Peter says as part of the shine bright life. As Jesus would say, being the light of the world. 
Peter said, if you're going to live that way, be ready, be prepared to answer any questions that people have about your life. Because those questions are going to come. There's going to be opportunities for us to share Jesus based on the life that we live. And that is our ultimate goal. I want people to look at me and say, there's something different about him. It must come from something outside of him. Now, Peter tells us basically two things here in reference to what he's talking about. Number one, he tells us exactly what the point of the sermon series has been, is that your actions will be a witness to other people. It will create a curiosity. But it tells me something I think is very, very interesting, as the disciple-making will often be an effect of relationships that you already have. There may be just a few people in this building that have the spiritual gift of evangelism. That, mean that, God has, that means that God has personally gifted you with the ability to share the gospel to the masses. I'll be honest, I don't even have that gift as a pastor. There may be a few people that have that, but for the vast majority of us, disciple-making is not going to be standing on a stage with a microphone. For the vast majority of us, discipleship is going to, or disciple-making is going to be finding people that we are connected with and using our relationship and leveraging our relationship to slowly bring them to Christ. Because they'll see our life, they'll see who we are, and that will open opportunities over time. So Peter's going to give us some overarching rules or some overarching instructions on how to witness. Number three, take them truth. It says, witnessing is an act of, point A, the heart. Let me be clear. If your heart is not correctly set on God, you will never witness for him. If your heart is not overflowing with love and affection for God, you will never share the gospel for him. So, so Peter starts with the heart. What does he say? The beginning point of this is sanctify Jesus in your heart. Sanctify God in your heart. The word sanctify means make holy. Now, we might hear that and think about our sanctification. Because while we are being sanctified, what God is doing is he is slowly changing us. He is slowly growing us. He is slowly making us more holy, more set apart for his purposes. That is part of the spiritual life of a believer. God is changing you every single day if you will let him. Now, I can't do that to God. I can't make God more holy because he is already holy, holy, completely holy. He was already as holy as he's going to be. So what is Peter trying to say when he's a sanctified God if I can't make him more holy? That word holy means set apart. What he's saying is set apart Jesus in your heart. Let your heart be overtaken by him. Other, other translations use the word revere there. Revere Jesus in your heart. We must be set on him. And part of the reason Christians have such a hard time sharing the gospel is because our hearts are captured by so many other things that seem holy and they seem churchy, but our hearts aren't set on Christ. Sometimes our hearts get caught by legalism. You've got to follow the rules. You've got to do the right things. You've got to dress the right way. You've got to act the right way. And we get so focused on all of the rules that we forget that our salvation is through Christ alone. We forget that this is not about what I've done to be good before God, but what he's done to make me good. Sometimes our hearts get captured by apathy. It's really easy to be a Christian and just think, well, what do I have to do? I've given my life to Christ. I've been saved. I got baptized. I go to church. I'm in a routine. And that's good enough. 
I've heard it put this way a time or two. It's easy for us to be saved and satisfied. It's good enough for me to just kind of kind of limp my way on to heaven, and when I get there, I'll get in, and that's good enough for me. It's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible doesn't call us to apathy. Sometimes our hearts get captured by pride, which, by the way, I think that's the, the core sin issue with both legalism and ath- uh, uh, apathy. Like, like pride just gets in my heart and it tells me that I'm really good and I'm better than other people. And somewhere, even though I might not say it from my mouth because mentally I know it's wrong, somewhere in my heart I'm thinking, God must really love me because I'm awful, awful special. Oh, God doesn't love you as much as he loves me. You're not as special as me. I've got a lot of things going on. And our hearts get captured by these things. And when we do that, we lose sight of our own need for a Savior. And when we lose sight of our own need for a Savior, we lose our, our, um, our belief that other people need a Savior. See, a lot of times the gospel is a lot like a spring. Not, not the season, the spring. Not a spring like the middle thing that bounces. A spring where water comes out of the ground. You guys have seen these, right? There's some springs that flow all the time. But here in Arkansas, there are some springs that will flow in the winter and in the season, the spring, and then they'll dry up in the summer. See, a spring can only push water out when there is already water in the ground. And the gospel is a lot like that. We can only bring the gospel from our mouth if the gospel is constantly changing and shaping our heart. The Bible says this. It says there is a connection between what comes out of your mouth and what's in your heart. If you have a lot of bitterness and anger in your heart, what's going to come out of your mouth is bitterness and anger. If you had a lot of reverence and excitement for Jesus Christ and the gospel and what he's done for us, guess what's going to bubble out of your mouth? It will be the gospel. So Peter starts with this. Peter starts with, you better get your heart right. Make sure that you have a deep conviction, an undying respect, and a blatant love for Jesus Christ. And then, and then, you can or you will be ready to share the gospel. The second step that he gives us, witnessing is an act of preparation. What does he say? He says, be ready to share the hope that you have. A lot of times, people can have a heart knowledge of Jesus Christ without verbally or mentally thinking through, what am I going to say? So to be prepared takes planning. It takes preparation. You don't just wake up in the morning ready for work. What do we do? We wake up and we have to get a shower so that we don't smell bad. We have to put on clothes so that people will respect us or at least not be insulted by us when we walk into work naked. We, we have to do all of these things to prepare ourselves to go work to work. And that takes planning. I have an alarm on my phone that goes off the same time every day because I have done the backtracking to think if I want to be at work at this time, I have to leave by this time, which means I have to get in the shower by this time, which means I have to set the alarm at this time and I have to leave time for me to hit snooze roughly seven to eight times. That is part of preparing for your day. In the same way, if we're going to share the gospel, we have to be prepared to share the gospel. We have to have mentally thought about how am I going to explain the gospel? What am I going to say? We start by praying up and asking God to speak and work through us. And we have to think about, what am I going to do? Am I going to give somebody a tract and explain that to them? Am I going to have a talk with someone? When do I initiate the conversation with this person? It's not going to just happen in the middle of the day where the opportunity is going to open up for you to share the gospel. And it's just going to blow out of you if you haven't been prepared for that situation. 
A pastor I listen to, his name is Jonathan Pacluda. He goes by JP. JP has trained his church, and I love this. I've started using this. He's trained his church to be able to ask two questions to open the gospel conversation. And the conversation is very, very simple, maybe even old school for a young pastor. But, but this is what he says. He, he'll walk up to like a waitress, and instead of being like, do you go to church somewhere? That's a nice cross necklace you have. Here's what he'll say. He'll say, let me ask you a question. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not sure at all, 10 being absolutely certain that you're going to heaven, where do you fall? And when people answer, he then asks the question, why? And if anybody answers with less than a 10 in any reason other than Jesus Christ is my Savior, he says, well, let me tell you how you can be 100% sure. You want to be a 10 on that scale? Let me tell you this. You are a dirty, rotten, broken person, but God loves you anyway. And in his love, he came here and he died for you so that you could be with him forever. And all you have to do is place your faith in him and accept him. That's all there is to it. And he opens the conversation with complete strangers with just a quick couple of questions. Now, we don't have to use that particular way of doing it, but we do have to have some tools. We do have some planning in order to share the gospel. Otherwise, we're going to be unprepared when the moment comes. See, what happens sometimes to people in a lot of ways is if we don't put a priority on something, we're not prepared at the moment. And so if you want to be somebody who makes disciples, if you want to follow the Bible, when the Bible says our job is to go into the world making disciples, it has to be a, prior, prior, a priority in your life right now. You got to start planning on it now. You start figuring out who am I going to talk to? How am I going to talk to him? What am I going to say? Do I know the gospel well enough to explain it and answer their questions? Some of you guys know this story about me. I am a college dropout. I went to Arkansas Tech University to start off with. And, and in high school, I was one of those kids that I didn't really have to study. I could just kind of will myself through the test on, on sheer intelligence. Uh, that doesn't work in college. And so I went to college, and, and uh, while everybody else was studying, I'd be like, y'all aren't going to just show up and take the test. That's what I've always done. It's always worked up for me. And the test wasn't a priority until the moment the test was laid on my desk. And suddenly all of my attention was focused on this test, and I'm going, I don't know how to do all of this chemistry. I don't have a clue what he talked about in psychology or philosophy. And because I wasn't prepared ahead of time, because it wasn't a priority to me to prepare for these tests, I would then flunk those tests. Now, several years later, when I went back to college, I decided that hurts getting kicked out of college, and so I'm going to do it right. And so what I did is I started putting in priorities. So I know I have a test in three weeks. I'm going to start studying a little bit every day right now. And yes, I could be playing video games, or I could be talking to my friends, or I could be riding a four-wheeler. But instead, it is very important that when the test comes, I am prepared, so I put a priority on it now. If we're going to be the kind of people that share the gospel, we're going to have to live our lives now getting ready for the future. Peter says, be ready to share a reason for your hope. I'm going to give you some tools shortly that may help you with that. Number three, witnessing is an act of loving communication. You notice what Peter says here. He says, tell them about why you have hope with meekness and fear. Other translations use that word gentleness. Now, you have to wonder, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Peter, who walked beside Jesus, and not only did he walk beside Jesus, he was Jesus' best friend, why would he add that in there? Why would he say, be prepared to share the gospel gently? Anytime the Bible tells us to do something, it's because God already knew we wouldn't do it by ourselves. 
See, we have this ability as religious people, and, and I'll go ahead and say this, as Arkansas people, we really value being straightforward. Have you ever heard somebody talking and they're like, well, I told him what was what. He didn't like it, but he took it. That's very much in our culture here. But what Peter says is that that's not how you, that's not how you share the gospel. You, you don't share the gospel with harshness. You share the gospel with gentleness. I was on a bus one time. You hear a lot of things with kids. I was on a bus one time with kids. And uh, one of the conversations in the back apparently was unholy. I don't know. I kind of plug my ears. It's just easier that way when you're around a bunch of kids. But I heard one of the girls in the back of the bus stand up. And she said, you guys better get your life straight or you're going to die and go straight to hell. Sorry, I'll drive a little straighter. Goodness. Now, let me be clear. What she said was not wrong. She was 100% correct. If you don't give your life to Christ, when you die, you will go straight to hell. But the communication technique of that fell on deaf ears because it came off as an attack, not a loving help. We can share harsh truths in gentle ways. We would never call somebody and tell them, hey, your dad died, you better go buy a suit because otherwise everybody's going to judge you at the funeral if you don't have a good suit, buy. It's not how we communicate that. What do we do? Hey, I've got a hard truth I have to tell you. Your dad's not here anymore. I want you to know I love you and I'm with you through this and I know how hard this is for you. And we communicate those things gently. The gospel is a hard truth. It is a harsh truth because what it says is you think you're awesome. You think the universe revolves around you. You think you're perfect, but there is a perfect God who the universe does, around, or does revolve around. And compared to him, you are broken, dirty, and not worthy of being in his presence. That is the gospel. That is a harsh truth. But we can communicate that gently and with love because that's who our Savior is. Our Savior is love. And our Savior can communicate harsh truths in gentleness. So we communicate in gentleness, not as a judgmental church person, but, but as somebody who is lovingly trying to pull somebody to Christ. And so with our hearts bubbling over with the gospel and love for Jesus Christ, being prepared and with gentleness, we go to work and we think, you know what, today is the day I'm going to sit down with Sarah. I'm just going to ask her where she's at with God. Today is the day I'm going to buy that Bible for Luke and I'm going to highlight the Roman road in it and I'm going to just work through those with him if he'll let me. And we go out in the world sharing the gospel and making disciples. Now some of you are sitting here. I've heard some amens. I've seen some head nodding. And some of you look like you're sitting in a race car going 300 miles an hour. I want out, I want out, I don't want to do this, I want out. Let's stop, let's stop. Because what our reaction to this often is, is this is intimidating. I don't want to share the gospel. And there's a couple of reasons that we get to that point. Number one is we have a fear of being rejected. We have a fear that if I go out and I try to share the gospel with my best friend, they're, they're not going to like me anymore. They're going to think I'm weird. Maybe, maybe they'll be a little uncomfortable and they'll start to push me away. And so we, we start to hide what we believe in order to preserve our relationships or our reputation, which is such an unloving thing to do. 
to say, I would rather you hang out with me and laugh with me and everything be normal and go to hell than maybe have an awkward conversation that might possibly get you to Jesus where you can spend eternity with me. What an unloving thing to do. Paul said this. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Here's the way Paul walked into the world. I don't care what relationship it blows up. I don't care how it hurts me. I don't care what the cost is to me. I will do it because I believe so deeply that Jesus Christ loves these people and he wants them to hear the the message of salvation that I will give up everything, everything for that to happen. This is what it looks like when we sanctify God in our heart, when we have our heart ready, when when the love of Christ is so full in our heart that it just bubbles up. The other reason is we have a fear of failure. Brian, I don't really know how to share the gospel. Uh, I'm unprepared. I might even try. It's like, hey, Jesus loves you. And people's like, yeah, I bet he does, and walk away. It's like, I'm not good at this. I don't have the ability to, to, to share the gospel in a good way. It doesn't work. People don't listen. That's really for other people. That's not true. Listen, Jesus Christ was God. Jesus Christ created humankind. He walked this earth and he spread the message of the gospel all across Israel to a lot of people. And a lot of people accepted it and became followers. But there were still a lot of people that rejected him as well. The apostles walked and trained under Jesus Christ with how to share the gospel, how to love other people. And they went out into the world. And there were a lot of people that got saved because of what the apostles did. But there were a lot of people that rejected the apostles' teaching as well. Here's what I'm trying to say. If Jesus Christ and his closest 12 disciples don't have a 100% hit rate on sharing the gospel, I don't think God expects us to either. I am becoming more and more and more convinced of this. I've always mentally believed this, but it is just ingrained in my heart is that we are not responsible for the results. We're responsible to be obedient and God will provide the results in his own time. And so we may share the gospel with somebody and they may walk away from us and and that's okay. Because what God likes to do is he likes to use us to plant seeds in the lives of other people. I was talking with a good friend of mine this week and she was telling me this story. She was really excited. And uh, her husband's a preacher named Brian as well, so he's probably pretty awesome if I had to guess. But uh, he, 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 was, he was preaching one day, and he was preaching on the need for men to stand up and be the spiritual leaders in their household. And she said, I was just so convicted. It's like God said to me, you need to reach out to your nieces and nephews. She's got like 15 of them. And so she began writing letters and sending text messages and telling her nieces and nephews who had fallen away from church, fallen away from God, maybe had never followed God. And she began to tell them of how great their need was to make Christ a priority in their life. And she said some of them didn't listen. Some of them, it did influence them. But she was so excited because she told me the story of one of them. She said, I have this niece who's completely walked away from God. Her husband wants nothing to do with God. And I had them in this group text message and I was just pouring my heart out about how they, as well as all of these other nieces and nephews, need to follow God. She said, they never even answered me. I just got a notification that said that both of them had left the group. I was so crushed. I felt so rejected. Thought they wouldn't want to talk to me anymore. She said, but at the next family reunion, a couple of weeks later, she said, my niece came up to my husband, the pastor, and said, let's take a walk. And what she shared with the husband is that her husband, who had no desire at all to follow Christ in any way, had joined a Bible study. And guess what the topic of the Bible study was? Being men who lead your families. 
and he was trying to grow in that. And she said, here's the exciting thing. She said, the exact resource I wanted to recommend to him, the exact book that we were going to recommend that he reads through and look at, that was the Bible study he was drawn into. God worked behind my back. See, she planted seeds that God later began to use. And sometimes that's all God calls us to do, is to do what he calls us to and leave the results to him. So let's uh, prepare really quick for what we have. Everybody in here has tools for witnessing. You have your own unique abilities. There are places that I will be able to share the gospel that you would be uncomfortable in. There are places that you are able to share the gospel that I would be uncomfortable in. But we all have our tools, and God has put us in a place where we can do so. So your next take-home truth, it says three tools you have for witnessing. The first one is testimony. The first tool that you have for witnessing is testimony. It's very simple. If you want to tell somebody how to get saved, if you've been saved, all you have to say is, hey, it was this easy. Like, I felt this conviction. I knew I was separated from God. I knew that, that if I died, I was going to go to hell. And all I had to do is go to him and cry out for his mercy. And he gave it to me and I became a new creature. If you live through that, all you have to do is tell your story. And maybe you're a baby Christian. Maybe you're, you're just taking those first steps in the walk of faith, and that's okay. And maybe that's the best story you have. It's like, hey, all I know is I put my faith in him, and he has saved me, and I'm growing in him now. But you may be a more mature believer who has walked with Christ for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. you got all kinds of wealth of information and experiences from your life to say, this is when I was at my lowest, but my God came to rescue me. This is who I was 30 years ago, but I got saved, and slowly God changed me into who I am now. That's a tool that every believer in this room has. All we have to do is tell people what God has done for us. Uh, another tool that we have, point B, is called the Roman Road. Now, many of you may be familiar with this. I'm going to lay it out for you. You can keep your notes today. This will be helpful for you. In, in, in the book of Romans, Paul is arguing for the gospel. And when you read Paul, Paul was highly educated. He was um, 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 in the professional, like, government world. And so it comes off as, like, this legal description of what it means to be a Christian. Paul, Paul answers questions, and then he circles back to him. It's really confusing. And so what the Roman road has done is it just takes the key points that Paul is trying to get at without all the explanation and it tells you what you need to know about the gospel. Let's, let's go through those right now. Here's what you need to know. Romans 3.23, this is your first point. And the word that I put out there besides sin, it just says sin. The verse says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can use this verse to tell people, number one, that all people, including you, have a need for Jesus Christ. Even if you've been to church, even if you, if you think you're doing pretty good, all people have a need for Jesus Christ because all people have sinned, which means to do anything outside the nature of Jesus Christ. The second one, Romans 6.23, tells about death. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This verse teaches us that what you earn, what is rightfully yours, what is right for you to have because you have sinned is death, eternal separation from God. You will face a physical death in this world because of our sin. You will also face a spiritual death separated from Christ forever and ever and ever. But I love this verse because it immediately changes course. But... It says that eternal life is a gift. 
eternal life is a gift. It's nothing that you can earn, nothing that you can have. It is simply something God chooses to give to you. And it explains that a little bit more in Romans 5.8. The word for that one is love. It says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This verse tells people, like, yes, you are broken. What you've done with your life does deserve death. But even in the midst of all that, our God loves you. He adores you. He wants you to come to him. He wants to know you. He has plans for your life. He loves you. And he loved you not when you were good enough for him, not when you cleaned up your act for him. He loved you when you were still a sinner. He loved you in the depth of the darkness and the dirt that you were in. And that's when he chose to die for you. The next one is Romans 10, 9 through 10, and it talks about faith. Here's that verse. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Those verses tell us this, is that Christ has given us this gift. He has paid for this gift. We need this gift. Now it is your turn to act. You place your faith on him. When you believe in your heart, you make that profession of faith. Jesus Christ is mine. If you cry out to God, he will save you. It is that simple. There's nothing else to the gospel. And people are going to try to get you trapped up. Well, well, do I have to stop doing this? Do I have to stop doing that? And you say, right now, all that matters, the only thing that matters is you are lost. There's nothing you're going to do to get yourself to God. And when he saves you, he'll start to work on those other things. Now, those verses are great. I hope that you memorize those verses. I hope that you use them. Anytime I gift a Bible to anybody, I go through and I highlight those verses and I leave them a note in the front of the Bible that says, I love you. I've highlighted some verses to go look at because those verses can share the gospel. If you need something else that is a little bit easier to remember that talks about the same concept because the gospel is the same, I had this introduced to me one time and I like it. Your point C is the three bigs. These are the easy-to-remember components of the gospel in three major points that start with big. Your first one here is big problem. You have a big problem. You're separated to God because of the choices that you made, the actions that you've lived, the sin in your life. It separates you from Him forever, and there is no hope for you. There's nothing you're going to do to reform yourself. There's nothing you're going to do to save yourself. You are deserving of death. That is the big problem. Point number two is the big switch. But Jesus loved you enough to switch with you. Jesus came into this world. He lived a perfect life, never sinning. And he took your death, your sin, your shame on himself. All of you, all of the dirtiness of you on Jesus Christ so that he could give you his righteousness and his eternal life. Jesus Christ came to switch places with you. And one day you will stand in front of God as a judge. And if you go to him with only the big problem, he's going to see your dirt and your shame and your guilt. And he's going to cast you away from him. But because of the big switch, we have the opportunity to stand before God the Father as judge. And all he's going to see on us is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He's going to look at us. He's going to say, you look perfect. Not because you were perfect, but because Jesus was perfect. And he took your sin. That's the big switch. And once we've explained that, it's time for the big move. That gift is available to you. 
It's, it's there for the taking. It costs you nothing. What are you going to do with it? The big move is this. is simply if, if you believe in Jesus Christ in your heart, you just take that by faith. The Bible says this. All who cry out to God will be saved. Brother Danny, if you want to start making your way up here. Maybe this morning what you need to hear, and we've said it probably five times, maybe what you needed to hear was the, big, the three B's. Maybe God has just been pounding on you this morning that gospel message again and again and again. You are lost and broken, but Jesus Christ came to save you. Maybe it's your turn to make that big move. If today's that day for you, I want to invite you. Come forward. I'm standing here. There's nothing to do but come up here and cry out to him, and salvation will be yours. Now, if you were already a Christian, listen carefully to me. All Christians in the room, all believers in the room, I have one more thing for you to do. It's our job to spread the gospel. And so while we have this, this reflection time, this invitation time, I'm going to ask you to sing, but I'm also going to ask you to pray. RB, pull my prayer up. I just want you to pray this one thing. God, please show me one person in my life I can witness to. I promise you, if you will ask God, he will bring somebody to your mind. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to begin to pray for them and pursue them with the gospel. Begin making plans for how am I going to reach them. Does it start with a text message? Does it start with a lunch? And prepare yourself to share the gospel with them. Because God will open doors if you ask him to. And we as a church, we're going to, we don't just leave here. We deploy. We're going to deploy into the world. And we're going to look for people who do not know Christ. And we're going to give it everything we have to bring people to him. But it doesn't start with the pastor or the deacons. It starts with all of us together going to our work and our families and our friendships and doing that. So please pray for God to give you a person and commit to follow that person through. If you want to talk to me or pray with me, I'm standing up here. I'd invite you to come up here. Let's stand and worship together.